University fees are expected to go up uh, by double digits from next year. And already students at Wits University have shut down the campus last week, citing the rising cost uh, as another source of exclusion for students who come from lower income families. The universities have cited as a reason for the increase a decline in government funding, along with rapidly rising costs of the different services and products that universities have to provide. And we've been trying this morning to just uh, keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening at the various tertiary institutions. Rob Byrne has been um, updating us about the UCT situation in Cape Town. Uh, We also have reports of uh, some murmurs of unrest at uh, University of Pretoria. We'll try and verify that for you. We spoke earlier to a student from Rhodes University and uh, they have, as of midnight, embarked on protest action. And as we understand, many, many more across the country. So do feel free to call us on 0891-104-208. Tell us what's happening at your uh, institution this morning as we ask the question whether higher education is becoming inaccessible. And if so, what are the solutions to all of this? And joining us for the discussion this morning, uh, we have with us uh, Ntutugo Makomboti, who is the president of the South African Student Congress. Just a bit of a problem uh, with the line there. Um, I believe both lines, so we'll come back to that. But as we heard um, during the news, President Jacob Zuma admitting that education is too expensive in South Africa. And many would say this is not a new discussion. People have been saying this for the longest time. And in the year of the Freedom Charter, that same Freedom Charter that all political parties seem to claim, uh, the Freedom Charter is very clear on uh, the doors of learning and culture and that the fact that they shall be opened. And it goes on to say that education shall be free, compulsory, universal and equal for all children. Higher education and Technical training shall be opened uh, to all by means of state allowances and scholarships awarded on the basis of merit. That's what the Freedom Charter stated 60 years ago. So what is going on today, 2015, in South Africa? Why are we seeing the sort of um, uprisings that we are around fees at tertiary and other higher education institutions? Let's open the lines all the same. Let's hear from um, some students who may be a part of the protest action that seems to be spreading like wildfire across the country. Tell us what your gripes are and, 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 and let's discuss this because on the one hand, most people I've encountered have said that education at higher education level should be free. But then again, the question remains, how then will these institutions fund the costs that come along with it? Because in as much as we don't want to think about it, we have to think about it. Something has got to give. Someone has got to pay uh, those costs. Is it government? If so, how? Um, what is government currently paying towards um, university education for le- uh, students across South Africa? So many questions that still need to be answered, but it does not uh, detract from the question as as to whether education up to tertiary level, at least undergraduate level, should be free. But let's talk about um, uh, all the other costs that are incurred. Uh, one, um, I got an SMS here from someone who said that students at UJ, for example, um, were protesting earlier on in the year, um, uh, demanding that UJ employ cleaning staff with higher perks. And that obviously, Joe goes on to say, increased university cost. And when the fees have to be increased, now 
there's protests. So what needs to happen here? Clearly, many, many questions that we need to wrap our heads around, but let's try and do so as calmly as we possibly can. Let's hear from Eddie in Cape Town. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina. Hi, Eddie. Yes, you, you know, Sakina, I've always said to the guys, this country's disparities in terms of um, economics is so huge. You know, I studied at UCT personally, and um, there was a day when we had a strike, and when we looked on the other side, we had two strikes, basically. And um, so the, 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 the rector came around and, and calmed things down. And then when we tried to find out what what were we striking for, we knew what we were striking for, for fees and those kids that um, were deserving and were being expelled financially. And then on the other side, the other kids were to- doing for uh, parking space. So th- those are the disparities that we have in this country, Sakina. But be that as it may, I think um, the ANC as a government as well is pursuing some kind of populist um, 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 uh, policies, because I heard the president this morning saying he sympathizes with the vet students. You know, that boils down, Sakina, to the fact that the government has no system of um, um, checking who is indigent and who is not, you know. You might find that in some of those kids that are toitoing there, um, some of them are mini, um, um, uh, sons of ministers. Some of them have good fathers that are uh, CEOs of companies. But because they are black and there is no way of separating who really needs financial aid and who doesn't, then all of them are lumped into the same box. And this is the chaos we get. So finally, Sakina, um, free education is a good ideal, but that's as far as it goes. You know, um, idealism and reality are not the, are not the same thing, Sakina. Um, there is never a free thing in any country anywhere. Someone has to pay somewhere. So does the government and treasury have enough money to subsidize these universities? If the answer is yes, then fine, let education be free. But if there isn't, then how exactly do you expect the universities to run, really? You know what I'm saying? I mean, they have to run somewhere. They have to have a shuttle. They have to have a, um, uh, food cooked for those that um, are catering. The, so... I think we need leaders, really, that will say this is what this country needs, not what people want, because there's difference between wants and needs, Sakina, really. You know what I'm saying? So, Eddie, you are saying um, this notion of free education is basically a fallacious one, uh, if I understood what you said there. That's the view from Eddie in Cape Town. Do you think South Africa can actually afford to have tertiary education granted to those who qualify for free. I'd love to hear your views on that. And if so, how does that come about? Motala in Durban, good morning. Now, free education is possible. I was in Zambia. As soon as Zambia got independence, there were only four secondary schools in the whole country for the black. There was no teacher training college, no university, no medical school, nothing. But President Kaunda, what he did, Right from the word go, I was there for 14 years. Within that 14-year period, he built hundreds of schools, boarding schools, and education was free. And no boarding, because the people were very poor, poorer than South Africa. And he granted the university. My children went to school free of charge. Uh, The university education was free. 
for my eldest son when he went there. But within 14 years when I left, I saw that the people were all educated. They had, fortunately, President Kaunda took 53% of the raw mining shares and that is what the, the British and Americans didn't like it. They blockaded and they did all kinds of things to, because he took away the, the, the wealth which they were taking away from the country. Now, the ANC, since independence, has done nothing for the education. And they keep saying we can't afford it, but they had spent billions on arms, which they should, didn't need because the Afrikaners were going to arm themselves. And they, on soccer, that world soccer match, all these useless things, they spend money, and yet they did nothing for education. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Motala, and the lines will remain open. But uh, let me uh, welcome now our guest, uh, Diane Parker, who is uh, from the Department of Higher Education, uh, Deputy Director General for Universities in that department. Thanks for your time this morning. Hello, and hello to your listeners. Now, uh, Diane, let me start by asking you, who takes care of poor students at universities? Um, The department has, or the government has, the National Student Financial Aid Scheme specifically um, created to support poor students and access into higher education for poor students. So the NISFAS really is the vehicle that we've utilized to open up access to poor students in the country. A vehicle that, um, by your own admission, uh, is not one that is functioning optimally and um, one that has many systemic flaws in it. Well, I think NISFAS has improved considerably over the last few years and we are working very hard to ensure that its administrative systems and the systems that it puts in place become more effective. So it is true that it hasn't been... Um, uh, performing as optimally as it could. And that's partly because of the model that it was set up with and the way in which financial aid offices work across the university system. But that is being dealt with systemically. And over the next while, we'll see it improving, especially as the new um, student-centered model comes into being. But I think one has to actually acknowledge that NISFAS has increased tremendously, particularly over the last five years or so. Um, if you think that it started in 1991 as TEFSA, and it, uh, you know, it's, it's from then till now, it's dispersed 50.5 billion and supported 1.5 million poor students into university education, that's actually an achievement. The fact that it hasn't been able to deal with every single poor student who feels they should come into higher education, I think is another matter. And if you look <coughs> at the last five years, the amount of funding has doubled um, in, in NISFAS. And we, we now are at a situation where we're supporting almost 200,000 of the students in the higher education system, just under 200,000 through NISFAS. So I think we must really balance our view of what has been done um, with some real facts, uh, you know, and, and not just take it from the anecdotal point of view of individuals, because individuals always sit where they are and see their own circumstances um, in relation to these issues. Let me ask you, um Speaking about uh, free tertiary education, do you think that that is at all possible in South Africa? 
Um, if you ask me free tertiary education for all, I'll say no. If you say free tertiary education for the poor, then it is a possibility. But we still need to get significant more funds. And the amount of funding that's required for that will really depend on what we understand about who is poor and secondly, what is free. If we talk about free tuition, free fees, then it's quite possible and it's quite feasible. If we talk about um, free full cost of study, in other words, covering everything, the fee, um, accommodation, food, clothing, uh, books, we're going to have to make choices about who gets it and there's going to have to be some sort of process around deciding on um, access to, to, to that limited funding. So in other words, is it everybody who could get into a higher education institution or do we do it on some form of um, academic ability as well as financial need? Currently, how much um, is, uh, are universities receiving in um, subsidies from government? Well, the total, the total budget from the, from the fiscus for higher education runs at about $30 billion. Um, and, uh, you know, it, 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 the, the difficulty there is that that $30 billion sounds like quite a lot, but we have to fund the, 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 the NISTAS and all the universities from that. Um, so if you take off the NISFAS and the specific earmark grants, we're looking at about 20, 25 billion, 24 billion to universities. Now, if you take that as a percentage of the education budget, it's running at around 12% of the education budget, um, which is fairly low in comparison to world average, which is around 19.8%, or say the OECD countries, which is around one point, uh, it, it's around 21%. 23%. Have you done any costing whatsoever, uh, just, you know, um, a, a hypothetical situation? If government were to introduce at least free tuition immediately, uh, have you have any idea how much more they would have to subsidize? Yes. I mean, we, we had a, a working group on fee-free education, a ministerial working group, that did a lot of modeling in terms of what the funding needs are and looked across the system in terms of this issue of poverty. But that particular working group did say it's no use only funding tuition because if you're talking about the poor and you're talking about people having to come into higher education and having the living and learning conditions which will enable them to succeed, we have to at least also consider issues of books and um, um uh, accommodation and food, that minimally it should be full cost of study. Now, when we've done costing on these various model, models, looking just at the next three-year MTEF period, um, we, if we looked at, say, taking an average, currently we cover with our DHET loan, which is really for the poor, 16% of the students. If we were to increase that to around 25% of the students and use an average cost across the system where some people have only fee and some people have, um, have uh, uh, more full cost of study, around about a 40000 per student per, per year, we need $17 billion over the next three years. If we take the actual full cost of study, which averages around 70000 per student, we need $37 billion over the next three years. 
Well, it doesn't sound as though it's too, um, uh, you know, bank-breaking there, does it, Ntutugo? Thank you very much, and good morning to the listeners and yourself, Akila and Dr. Parker. Uh, no, we, we, we think that, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's really possible. And I think when we start to re-look at education, not just as an expenditure burden, but as an investment in, on our economy, an investment on, on our country, I think... We, 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 I mean, uh, in the way that we allocate resources in the government, I think we would be able to, to really, uh, you know, make this uh, uh, possible. And, uh, you know, uh, just looking at what students are asking for at the moment, if you could maybe just unpack that for us and exactly why students are unhappy at the moment, because uh, we seem to be hearing different stories, but what exactly is the crux of this latest wave of uprising? Well, at the center of this uh, is it's, it's the, the increment on, on fees across our institutions. Uh, universities are saying, as, as Dr. Parker has just explained, that uh, the funding of uh, higher education in South Africa uh, in, I mean, has, has in real terms declined, and therefore they are saying that they are under pressure to put up fees. But what we are saying as, as students is that, I mean, that is not a, a sustainable solution because... We are also confronted with the economic challenges that are facing the country, and you can't think that we are going to mitigate against the low funding of higher education with fees unless you, your intention is actually to exclude students, because students are not going to be able to afford these higher-than-inflation fee increments, you know, and, and, and therefore they are going to have to drop out, and others who are first-year students are not going to be able, who are going to be the first-year students next year, are not going to be able to access Secondly, it's the rising upfront payments, which is what we call registration fees. Uh, many of the institutions across the country are increasing those uh, you know, uh, upfront payments. And these review as uh, instruments that are used to really exclude uh, working class and poor students, but particularly also students who uh, are not in the NSFAS cohort, but are outside of the, you know, they don't qualify to get NSFAS, but their parents also cannot afford to pay the high cost of study. And those are the students in the main who are also affected by these rising fees. So what would be a fair increment uh, in your book? Look, we, we are saying, uh, I mean, as students, of course, from our standpoint immediately, is that we don't want fee increment because in any event, it, it really affects us. Because when you look at, uh, you know, for example, how our, our parents, who are the ones who really pay for our fees, how their salaries are rising, I mean, in the main, uh, we, they even struggle to get uh, rises that are, are, you know, CPI-related across, particularly in the private sector. But at least if we're to be talking about a CPI adjustment, that could be, a, I mean, a reasonable discussion that we could have with the universities. But when it's, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, way above, uh, uh, you know, inflation, it becomes extremely, extremely difficult. If you have double-digit, uh, you know, fee increments like we're seeing, uh, you know, in UP, we're seeing in, in VETS and in, in other institutions also, uh, we are really going to be facing a, a big challenge. In Forte, for instance, also there's a challenge that students are told that they must pay 60% of their fees before their life examinations. Now, that's also uh, compounding into these challenges and then this crisis that you're faced with now. But what about the university and the fact that they are incurring costs? Uh, how are they supposed to uh, basically recoup on those? You know, what is interesting, uh, Sakina, is that the, the universities that are right now uh, hiking fees 
quite exorbitantly. Uh, your historically white universities, your vets, your your your, your UCT, and um, and of course the other historically black are doing so, but but not at this level. And that's a challenge. And these are universities that get a lot of money from debt stream funding, uh, which is private sector funding. But our historically black universities, I mean, if you talk about Walter Studio University, is only getting one percent of its funding from private sector donors. But VETS gets, I mean, about, uh, with the vital steps that are there now, about 45% of its money from debt stream income. Where is this money going is the question that we are asking. What are the, the interests of these private donors? And how also are we leveraging this funding that they get to assist students and not just have big, huge, uh, you know, projects uh, that are not going to benefit uh, students and them entering into these institutions? Is higher education becoming increasingly inaccessible is what we are asking on the forum at 8 this morning. Those lines are open. And speaking to Diane Parker, the Deputy Director General for Universities at the Department of Higher Education, as well as Ntutugo Makumboti, who is the President of the South African Student Congress. And uh, the lines are open, 891 Let's hear from our listeners. Leanne, you're calling us from Joburg. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina, and good morning to your listeners. I think um, one of the things that, that's not coming through um, really well in the mainstream media is that uh, student protests at the moment are about fees, but that this is a movement that has started earlier than the fee conversation. We can all think back to the much-publicized Roads Must Fall and the issues of heritage and signage and who, who, what, are, what are the messages, the kind of symbolic messages that universities are sending about what their role is and um, uh, what they prioritize. So this is not merely about fees. And in my opinion, having been um, involved in some of the movements, this is not going to go away after we um, resolve the fee issue. There's also the issue of outsourced workers, mothers and fathers of poor people earning 2,000 rand a month cleaning universities, um, and um, people being exploited even at that level. So for me, the, the one thing to notice is that this is not merely an issue about fees. The second thing is to say that um, there are many people like uh, Di Parker and others who are working with the very hard figures. We've heard some of that earlier. But for, for us and people in the movement, uh, what we are saying is that, you know, there seems not to be politi- enough political will. We're not saying that this is an easy question to solve, as outsourcing is not an easy question to solve. But it seems like when we want to hold World Cups, and, I mean, Durban hosted, um, is going to be hosting apparently the, the Commonwealth Games in a few years. When we need to raise millions and billions of rands for particular things, we find the political will and we do it. So the, 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 is the sense that, oh, these are huge figures and we can't do it. So I think we, we really need to think about the idea of political will and what we are focusing our energies on. The other thing to say is that this is not merely uh, pol- youth or student political parties that have been uh, putting pressure on university management. What we're starting to see is that students, regardless of political affiliation, are starting to say we need to be struggling about real issues and stop mimicking our, our, our adult bodies by fighting amongst each other about this and that. Surely we all have ideological differences, but we all can agree that poor students need to be able to access universities. They should not be excluded because of their historical background. And so we're starting to see student movements that are willing to see beyond their political affiliation and also the call to broader society and to other universities to say we need an active citizenry. We can't merely vote every four years for our SRC president, uh, for our government, and then sit back and put it and say, this is now all up to you. You guys have got to solve the problem. So it's a very exciting time in the sense that the average student 
the average citizen in terms of the corruption march and, and what's happening in the broader civil society is willing to come out on, on the street more now and say, we're not going to sit back anymore and just every four years vote. We're actually going to get involved in raising questions about what the problems are, but also wanting to answer those problems. Mm. Another thing that is really important is transparency. So we, we need people in power. And uh, this is a call that has gone out before. This is why we have public access to information. We need to know these figures such that people can apply their minds. The universities mm. are supposed to be the places where we are, we are engaging our social problems, but we can't do that if we have management, not leadership of universities, management who think that they know everything and are going to be able to solve the problems on their own. So what Wits University has done by bringing the vice chancellor the vice-chancellor listening, the council coming to engage with students. We need a new kind of democracy that doesn't say councils are going to solve our problems because they are earning good salaries. They are not on the ground and struggling with people. I would also appeal to media to come to the students, to not only speak to presidents of associations because they don't have the full story. That was uh, Leanne in Joburg, and and I wanted to ask Leanne, and maybe some of the other students calling in could speak to this, and uh, perhaps Ntutuko also, whether there's a common vision at this point amongst the students as to what they would ultimately like to see as the outcome of all of this. As Leanne says, it's broader than just the fees questions. There's much more going on. Let's speak to Busi, who's calling us from UCT. Good morning, Busi. Morning. So what's going on at UCT this morning? Um, basically, it's pretty similar to what happened at WIT, um last week. We've barricaded all of sort of the main entrances to lower campus um, and upper campus, which are our main campuses. Yeah, and I, um, I'm, I don't know if a lot of people know, but UCT um, depends a lot on the JAMI system to transport students from sort of um, reses and all sorts of places to campus, and that's all been blocked off. Right now, yeah. So, so and um, mm-hmm. so yeah, and, and management has already tried to engage with the students, but they don't want to engage us inside the administrating building because they fear that we're going to occupy again. So they try to establish a venue where talks can happen um, at this point in time. Yeah. So as things stand right now, are there any classes uh, taking place this morning at UCT? Um, I think there's, there's somewhat disruption because a lot of people only found out this morning. So faculties are sending out emails, cancelling things um, as time goes by. But I don't think a concrete like shutdown has been announced to everybody um, at this point in time. But there's definitely disruption. Some lecturers are emailing, cancelling things. So that's how things are progressing right now. Busi uh, from UCT, thank you so much uh, for that update. Um, we also have on the line um, Ms. Nalendi, uh, Naledi Pando, who's ANC subcommittee um, uh, on the ANC subcommittee on education. Thanks for calling this morning. Uh, good morning, uh, Sakina, and morning to your listeners. Now, Miss um, uh, Panda, we heard, uh, you know, from some of the students uh, basically saying that at the heart of all of this lies a lack of political will to institute a system that would be more fair and more accessible to poorer students? Well, I don't think uh, there's a lack of political will. I think uh, the students would agree that we have seen uh, improved funding by uh, the ANC government of higher education, particularly insofar as student funding is concerned, while we acknowledge it's not sufficient. However, at the... uh, 
National General Council of the ANC, we did uh, agree that we'd like uh, the Minister of Higher Education and Training to look at whether it's possible to have a regulatory uh, framework for uh, uh, fee uh, levels uh, within higher education. And we are waiting for him to come back to the subcommittee and eventually the NEC of the ANC and then policy conference on this. Ms. Pando, in a country where social inequality really bedevils the state, you know, in, in ways that one can go for days explaining, isn't it in our interest to basically uh, foster social equality, especially through education, where there is no blockages to people's right to access quality education? Well, I think uh, really the biggest imperative that South Africa should have if we to overcome uh, the legacy of the injustices we suffered is to ensure that as many young people as possible have access to educational opportunity at all levels. So this is going to be the largest means of overcoming uh, our legacy. And so indeed, uh, from uh, the national budget, we do devote significant resources, but you come up against the uh, freedom that uh, institutions have to determine uh, salaries, uh, to determine fee levels, uh, and to determine a whole host of things. And of course, one doesn't want to be uh, unreasonable in terms of what the university costs are, particularly institutions with some of the more expensive uh, disciplines. But I think within that, there can be reason and accommodation of the poorest students matched by national funding for higher education. Free tertiary education, is that something uh, which the ANC Subcommittee on Education is entertaining at this point? Well, we certainly echoed um, the Freedom Charter's core that we would want to see the poorest and talented receiving uh, greater support from the state. So free higher education for those who do not have the means uh, uh, to, to pay for it. We're a society where we are unequal in terms of financial means uh, and whether we'd be able to afford uh, free higher education for everyone uh, is a, a significant question we all have to answer, but that would mean uh, particular calls on tax and so on. But for the poor who don't have the means, uh, you know, it's just ridiculous to uh, try and make them pay anything. Thank you so much, uh, Ms. Naledi Pando, ANC Subcommittee Member on Education. Let's hear from Sean in Cape Town. Good morning, Sean. Hi, good morning, Sakina. I was, I'm feeling the, the, the debate quite quite a bit of interest. The, the question I want to pose to the panel, it's, in a sense it's unspeakable in the room, is the extent to which what's actually happening on campuses right now is, is tied to a broader political struggle around who's, who's actually taking, you know, who's got representation from a political party on student campuses. I was a student, you know, obviously at GCT many years ago, and you know, well, that's a different story, but I think that that's the question I'd like to pose is how much of what we're seeing right now, whilst I listen to the student calling in from Cape Town, you know, there's usually people behind organizing these, these marches, and whose interests are they serving right now? Because I think there's a struggle on, around who actually takes greater representation in student politics right now. And I think the ANC has lost a lot of its, a lot of its 
battle on that ground, and I think this is a quite an interesting thing to look at. And you know, student fees is just one point, a flashpoint where you can actually get people. You know, it helps drive activism. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sean. Uh, Timbers in Port Elizabeth. Good morning. Sagina, we, we, we spoke after Piketty came to South Africa and, and, uh, and, and gave a lecture. South Africa education system is expensive, it's unaffordable. Let's bring in the equalizer. The 17 billion rand, it's not vault breaking, Sagina, as you've had. Let's do that because we're putting too much money on the housing, which housing taxes back government again through electricity and other services. Let's cut back on RTP housing. Let's put money into free education. Let's take 1% across all those who are currently employed. Let's tax again the mineral resources of this country. We would find the money for free education. And the Freedom Charter says free education for all, not free education for those who can't afford and those who can afford pay it. Let's bring, let's foster social cohesion. Let's take 1% across those who are employed. Let's tax the companies, particularly in the mining sector. Let's cut back on RTPs. We would find the money. Mm, thank you so much, Timber. If we could institute a 1% on salary uh, tax for skills development, why can't we do it for tertiary education in this country? Just a question that I'm throwing out there. Uh, Karen in Peter Maritzburg, good morning. Good morning, Sakina. Um, I would like to suggest, first of all, an end to corruption and a prioritizing of education in this country. I went to university in the 70s. My parents were working middle class. They didn't pay for me. I paid for myself. By hard work, I qualified for a teacher's uh, loan, and I got bursaries. I would also like to challenge the, the lady who started off the program by saying students need to be in the imagination of the country. I would also like her to talk about what contribution the students are going to make. But essentially in this country, corruption needs to end, education needs to be a priority right from the grassroots level, not just higher education. But there needs to be a responsibility on the side of the, of the students. I don't believe in free uh, higher education. There needs to be more funding from government. Uh, less self-interest and more funding for for the the community and the country as a whole. Thank you, Karen and Peter Maritzburg. Frankie's in Hatfield in Pretoria. Yeah, good morning, Sakina. You know, you know one uh, one of the sufficient ways of funding education in this country uh, to bring about free education is to nationalise uh, uh, mines, all sector, strategic sectors of the economy. Take that profit. Unlike, it, unlike a situation where it goes into the private hands of individuals, I mean, a person makes 500 million per, per, per annum and being called a millionaire, only mines there. These things must be in the hands of the state, uh, controlled by the state, so that we can fund education. It will not help. For We don't even need to increase taxes. ANC must discuss this thing very seriously. By the way, nationalization is our policy. And the next day when we go to political conference, we must deal with this thing. We must avoid to be imposing, uh, I mean, uh, 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 monopoly capital control. Uh, those who are controlling the, uh, what do you call the, the, the economy. We must ensure that we nationalize mines. That is very important. Nationalize mines and take the profit of mines and fund education. It's not going to entirely intervene, but it's going to sufficiently make a, a, a progress in that regard. It's very, very important. Thank you so much, Frankie. So those are some of the views around what should, what should not be done. Current saying that she does not agree with, um, you know, free uh, university uh, fees. But uh, let me get back to the panel. Diane, this um, issue of capping fees, 
what sort of power does the Department of Higher Education have uh, to basically prescribe or even uh, encourage institutions to cap their fees? Um, Currently, in terms of our act, we do not have the power to set fees. That is an institutional um, focus. However, the minister is in discussion with the university vice-chancellors and the chairs of council around being sensitive to the issue of increased fees and looking very carefully at how they balance their books and what they actually prioritize in terms of their focus. Let me give you one example. Um, If you look at the the issue of quality education and the student uh, lecturer ratio, that's a big driver as to the cost of a particular institution and the, the raising of fees. And we can look at some of our institutions, our, our institutions that are looking at being in the top rankings of the world, and they'll have a low um, student-teacher um, ratio, the lowest being uh, 10 to 1. Um, and then if you go down the system, other universities that are also looking at that exact same focus are having a student-teacher ratio of, say, 12 to 1 or even 17 to 1. Those are the three top universities in this country. So what is the difference between them? Why are they having these differences? How can they look inside to see how they might rearrange um, issues? So there is a need to sensitively look at what it is that you're trying to do in your prioritization and where, how are you going to balance this budget? But a fundamental principle of a higher education, I'm talking about higher education, And if we go back to the the, the Freedom Charter, it is clear, and our Constitution is clear, that basic education is a right for all. But that further education and tertiary education needs to be made uh, progressively available um, as as far as is reasonable, and that it should be made available on merit. So that's what the, the, the Freedom Charter actually says. So what does that mean? It means that we have to really think carefully about how we utilize the resources we have, how we um, enable access into higher education by the most, by the poorest, how we invest, invest in our youth, um, and, and how we manage that process. So the issue of um, the balance between the amount of funding that's going to come from subsidies and directly from government, the amount that's going to come from uh, fee structures from families and from um, uh, uh, loans and, and bursaries and scholarships and the amount that we can get from donors. Now, a key issue about the donor funding, one of the, one of the, um, the speakers spoke about, uh, you know, donor funding going for high-saluting stuff. But generally, our donors are funding research activity. They're not funding um, poor students coming into higher education. And I do think we need um, the, the business and industry as well to come on board in relation to really assisting with investment in the youth in a much bigger way. The issue of whether or not we can actually create a tax, that's a big question. Um, and the other issue of how we reprioritize. I mean, the one, the one speaker suggested we re- reprioritize away from housing. Well, that's a big, big political issue. So the issue of political will then, I don't think there's no political will, but I do think the political will is about how we actually prioritize 
um, funding in the system and how we do that in a way that really invests in our youth and gives us the potential for economic growth in the long run. Dutugo, let me come to you um, in response to what has been raised and also the question by Sean more pointedly uh, talking about whether there's perhaps a hidden political hand in all of this. Well, I, I don't think that there's a, a hidden political hand. I think, uh, I mean, we need not to divorce these, uh, you know, the struggles around questions of fees and the whole questions of transformation from what we've been seeing throughout the years uh, in the higher education space the restlessness of students raising the issues around funding, raising the issues around racism on campus. I mean, uh, people sometimes easily forget about what was happening at the University of Pisa, for example, in the in that residence, what has been happening in Northwest University. So these struggles are not new, as, as, as some may want us to believe. But secondly, I think there is, um, I think there is, I do agree that there is a broader consensus around students across the board around, uh, you know, the urgency for funding to be put aside for higher education and the urgency of transformation also in general. But I think also there are some points that I think I picked up from the listeners, which I think are some of the things that we have also raised um, in the For example, the question of how do we look at a corporate tax uh, in South Africa to fund, I mean, a free education fund. And I mean, I, I, I really do believe, I mean, we have got a private sector in South Africa which is not really investing uh, you know, in the productive economy, let alone in education, um, and, 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 and the way that private sector also uh, supports our universities, if you have a look at the latest vital steps by Council of Higher Education, they fund the historically white universities. So the same funding structure that was there during apartheid is still the same, and students in historically black universities and those universities are not benefiting from private sector funding. So we can't just call on the private sector and hope that they will respond. They have not been responding for the past 21 years. So we need a new regulative uh, regime introducing uh, a a taxation regime that is going to assist us to fund higher education. But also, you you raise an important point, Sakina, yourself, about the skills level. We are saying that why don't we increase the skills level by another 1% and ring fence that money to really fund higher education. But the issue of institutional autonomy, and I think uh, Mamnali Dipanda also raised this, the issue of institutional autonomy uh, that gives right of institu- for institutions to determine fees is also really one of the things that are really, uh, you know, uh, confronting us because universities have been increasing fees beyond inflation, way beyond inflation, in fact. Some even double CPI. So this is a problem. Uh, and if government cannot intervene, it's a challenge. And that's why we are saying there is an urgent need to really change the regulative environment. Government and parliament must, uh, you know, enact a law around regulation of fees and capping of fees. Because in as much as you see, uh, 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 Dr. Parker was raising that we've increased net funds from 3, 000, $3 billion in around 2009 to about $9.5 billion now. But a, lot, but a lot of that, I mean, we've received diminishing returns because a lot of that has been, uh, you know, taken by the increase of fees and the rise in cost of full cost of study. So I think that is the the, the, the challenge. So we need to deal with the law to, I mean, uh, to amend the law mm. to allow government intervention.
Well, that's where we're going to leave it. All we have time for, tell you what, we'll take all your contributions uh, that came through via the social media networks and we'll uh, put them up on our uh, website, www.safm.co.za. You can read up on it there. Thank you so much to our guest this morning, Diane Parker, Deputy Director General for Universities in the Department of Higher Education, as well as Ntutugo Makomboti, who is the President of the South African Students' Congress and everybody else who participated as well.